Lord, we do indeed praise you this morning. And may we be blessed by your presence and speak to us through your word. Lord, be glorified, be magnified this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about baptisms, okay? Uh, we explored in depth the, what is called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we looked at the three baptisms that the Bible teaches. Remember these? The Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ at salvation, okay? You have that, the Spirit that is drawing you to him, you do not seek God in your own. He seeks you through his spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then when you come to Christ, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit baptizing you into the body of Christ. And that baptism into the body of Christ, just by the way, it is a very intimate union with Christ. You are actually placed in him. So that when he died on the cross, you died on the cross. Uh, when he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Now, while he is seated at the right hand of the Father, in one sense, positionally, you are, but you have now been set free in this world to live a new life. Um, but you're also in him at the right hand of the Father as well. So it's a very intimate union you have with him. Number two is that there's a water baptism. Once you become a believer, you are commanded to be baptized. Okay, then that water baptism is simply a symbol of a, of a, it's an outward act symbolizing an inward change. Okay, that's all that is. Okay? Then there's the, really what we're talking about here is the third baptism where Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Now while we are, the Holy Spirit is, dwells in us at the moment of salvation, okay, there's a separate baptism with him, an empowerment that Jesus promised in all these verses and more. And again, the significance of this is the fact that it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, even in Acts, this event. I, this is the only event, I believe, that is repeated in all four Gospels, okay? So it's a very significant event. Basically, we're being told you have a helper because you need help. <laughs> we need help living this thing called the Christian life, okay? Now, as a result of all of this, what our enemy has done is he says that, you know, yes, you're baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. Yes, you're water baptized. But that's where it stops for a lot of believers. They are two baptism believers, okay? And they're living the Christian life without the necessary power that they need to not just do, yeah, we all want to do miracles if that's what God does through us, but that really isn't our experience. We want to live a life above the daily grind, right? We want to live a life of love, a life of peace. We don't want to worry. We don't, all of that. But the way you do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the results of being baptized with the, the Holy Spirit are this. We looked at these last week. And this is the key Again, this is the very first thing it said. When you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. If you don't have any desire to share your faith, then either you're in sin or you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is what should happen. 
a desire to share your faith and a, a boldness. Remember timid Peter running away from being identified with Christ and the, you know, 40 days later, wherever it was, he received the Holy Spirit and he's speaking to large groups. The difference is only the Holy Spirit. That's the only difference. With this can come the ability to speak in tongues. There's a power to increasingly surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You and I both have what's called a flesh or a sinful nature. It's been circumcised by Christ, but still there. And Jesus wants to be the dwell in your heart through faith. He wants to be the Lord over every area of your life. That desire and the ability to surrender to him over and over again, every area of your life, remember my heart, Christ's home, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit to increasingly surrender to him than to live a life characterized by love, okay? This should be, you should be rooted and grounded in love, have a foundation of love, and so your first response to whatever life throws at you is not to be bitter or to hate or resentful, but it is to love. That's why. Blessed are you when you are insulted and you respond in love. You pray for your enemies. You respond in love which should result in God working powerfully through the believer to do the unimaginable. Now, my guess is that for most of all of us here, this part right here resulted in God working powerfully through the believer to do the unimaginable. Does that really happen in your life? Let's go a step further or back. Are you living a life characterized by love? I mean, is, is that the foundation out of which you are operating and you are moving out of that, or are you easily offended? Well, then it goes back to what? Surrender to him. Well, I, didn't, I find this hard. Well, before this is being strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit. You see? There's a, and it should result in, as we've seen before, the, you have the ability to, and the desire to worship, praise, and give thanksgiving. Mutual submission in relationships. We went over this. Wives, is it hard to submit to your husbands? Absolutely. Children, is it hard to submit to your parents? Employees, is it hard to you know, submit to your employers at times? For sure. Relationships are hard. You need the ability the power to mutually submit, okay? To get through the rocky parts of relationships in life. These are all results of receiving or, or the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? And then there's this part here. I, I wanted to add this to our mindset, but the Bible speaks so much and the church speaks so little about this idea of perseverance, okay? The ability to persevere, to endure, and not give up hope, to recover motivation and drive and to move forward, all of that is, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power to, to endure patiently, this is long-suffering, patiently. So you, you endure patience, to be full of joy and thanksgiving in the midst of this joy and thanksgiving is connected to what? Perseverance and long-suffering. 
you're joyful and thankful in every circumstance. That is not the way of the world, is it? But it's the way of God's kingdom, and it's a way of being a witness by saying no words other than living a life of joy and thanksgiving in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's being different. That's, and the only way you can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that we talked about uh, a little bit last week, and what is a hindrance to people because they simply don't understand it, is this idea of speaking in tongues as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to discuss that this morning through a series of questions. And Luke wrote that the promise of the Holy Spirit was for who? Everyone. It's for everybody. And so we're going to begin with a story from the mid-20th century. Not the early church. This is the mid-20th century of a housewife, a simple, common housewife, who was exercising her gift of tongues and the effect it had on a young couple. This is in a full gospel church in Oregon. Yes, God still moves in Oregon. Okay. Um, there was a young man who had married a Japanese girl while stationed in Japan with the armed forces. So this is right around the time of World War II. Uh, the young couple uh, returned to the United States and were doing well except that the young lady flatly resisted her husband's Christian faith and held steadfastly to her Buddhism. One night after the evening service, the couple was at the altar, uh, he praying to God through Jesus Christ, and she praying her Buddhist prayers. And next to them was kneeling a middle-aged woman, a housewife from the community. And this woman began to pray aloud in tongues. And suddenly the Japanese bride seized her husband's arm. Listen, she whispered in excitement. This woman speak to me in Japanese. She say to me, you have tried Buddha and he does you no good. Why don't you try Jesus Christ? And she said this though. She does not speak to me in ordinary Japanese language. She speak temple Japanese and use my whole Japanese name which no one in this country knows. Now, obviously, you take these stories, if they're true, do they fit against what Scripture teaches? It sounds like Acts chapter 2, doesn't it? For sure, it does. So we're going to look through a series of 13 questions. We'll see how long it takes, which is why we only sang three songs. And you're going to have an opportunity to respond this morning, but we're going to look at 13 questions as we answer this topic of you know, tongues. For example, what does it get to speaking in tongues? And let me just say this to start off. I was in a meeting with a bunch of staff members with Campus Crusade, and somehow we got into the issue of tongues, and it was immediately said, and you've heard me say this before, that the gift of tongues is divisive. Anytime anybody says any gift of the Spirit is divisive, they just don't understand their Bible. Why is it impossible for tongues and, and any gift of the Spirit to be divisive? Each spiritual gift, the scriptures say, are a manifestation of who? The Holy Spirit. So to say that any gift is divisive, it's to say that the Holy Spirit is divisive. Now, has the gift of tongues been divisive in the church? Yes, but only by men, not by God or by the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to use that logic, then you would say, okay, if, if the gift of tongues has been divisive, then we shouldn't seek it, and we should avoid it. 
using that logic, then we should avoid all teaching. Because teaching, i.e. false doctrine, false teachers, has done far more damage to the body of Christ than the gift of tongues. And therefore, we should abandon teaching. Makes absolutely no sense, right? You do not need to be wary of tongues. It's a gift. Okay? It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, so what is the gift of speaking in tongues? Okay? It's nothing. Get your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. You'll just stay there the whole time. 1 Corinthians 14. Okay? People stay to baptism believers because they're afraid of speaking in tongues. That's guess what I'm getting at. You don't need to be afraid of that. I'll just share this with you. If you didn't know already, my mom passed away this past week on Monday. Um, and my mom sought this gift as well with the, the movement, the charismatic movement, being involved in that. And it was in the late 70s that she was just alone in her house praying and asked for this gift um, in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so on because that was what was being taught to her. And she just kind of blurted out the, the phrase Abba. She had no idea what that meant. And she later discovered that that meant Father. Okay? And that began her journey into um, speaking in tongues. Okay? But speaking in tongues, it's a spirit-empowered prayer or praise. It's spoken in syllables that is not understood by the speaker. Okay? Do you understand that? I don't know if there's anybody here, I mean, I do have a private prayer language and so on. If you speak in tongues, I don't know what I'm saying. I, sometimes I ask for interpretation, but I, sometimes I do feel something within me when I'm doing it. And that's what, and you'll see how this is all biblical at a moment here, but I don't always understand but I know my spirit is praying and I feel a strengthening within me. But it's a, a words that are spoken in syllables that's not understood by the speaker. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So that's what speaking in tongues is. Second question, what kind of speech is directed towards God? What kind of speech is directed towards God? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is what? Unfruitful, I just don't understand what I'm praying. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in this position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Now there's a first clue there as to what God values in a public setting. Is it speaking in a tongue or speaking in 
language they understand. It's the language that the, that the unbeliever understands. So what kind of speech is directed towards God? It's a, it is prayer or it is praise directed towards God that comes from the spirit of the person who is speaking. Okay? Next question. Does the one speaking in tongues understand what he or she is saying? Look at verse 2 again. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So does the one speaking in tongues understand what he or she is saying? Not necessarily, no. Look at verses 10 through 12. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So the answer is no. Does the one speaking in tongues understand what he or she is saying? No, we do not. But the speaker is encouraged by Scripture to pray for the interpretation. Verse 13, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. So you'll go from getting used to speaking in tongues, and what would be the next step then? Pray that God would tell you, reveal to you what you're saying to him. Now in order for you to understand that God is speaking to you, what do you have to do? In other words, are you able, can you recognize when God is speaking to you? If you can't, you will never be able to interpret speaking in a tongue. You have to cultivate a personal relationship with him. You have to recognize when he's speaking to you in the variety of ways that he speaks to you. It's an intimate union when you're placed in Christ. It is a personal relationship. And Paul is assuming that in talking to these uh, Corinthian believers. Pray for the ability to interpret. And by the way, all these things I'm talking about here this morning, as we'll see at the very end, the last verse we'll look at in this sermon, these are elementary teachings. Elementary. We need to move on from these things to, to, to better things, as Paul says, to greater things. But yeah, this, is a, this would be Christianity 101. Okay? Next question. Do the hearers understand what is being spoken in tongues? Let me just say this to you. We're not going to go there in Acts chapter 2. Let me just read this to you. They're all together. When Pentecost arrived. The Spirit fell upon um, the, the disciples and they began, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now watch this, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So people from different nations, speaking different languages. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Just so you know, I don't know how it would be like over here, but in uh, Ohio, we don't have high regard. People in Ohio, particularly Southern Ohio, don't have high regard for the state of West Virginia. 
Ohio is the heart of it all, we say. That's the slogan. We call West Virginia the armpit. Okay? You can tell someone from West Virginia comes up to Ohio just by their dialect, the way they speak. There is a hillbilly type accent. The Galileans were hillbillies. Did you know that? And so that's how they knew that these were Galileans, okay, by their, their accent. And they're speaking now in this language, this hillbilly, this hillbilly sounding language, but it's a different language now. Maybe it's a hillbilly speaking French. Okay, imagine that. Yeah, what's, what the heck is going on here, okay? It says, and how, we're saying, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now verse 13 is key. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. In this instance, in Acts chapter 2, some people did understand what they were saying. Because they were speaking what? Their native language. A different human language. Okay? But notice that some did not understand. They are simply filled with new wine. They're drunk. See, in this instance, tongues was a known human language. And of course, they were praising God with this language that they were unable to speak, and now they're able to speak. And do they understand what they're saying? No, they do not. And the only way that they will know what they're speaking is to do what? Cultivate a personal relationship with him so you recognize when God's speaking so that when you ask him, what am I saying? You recognize you're saying this. Now, must speaking in tongues always consist of speech in known human languages? Just because speaking in tongues occurred in known human languages just once in Scripture does not require that it always happen with known languages since another description of speaking in tongues, as we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 14 here in a moment, indicates exactly the opposite. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul's general instructions based on a wide experience of tongues speaking in many different churches, okay? It's years after the Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 was, was one unique event. People have been speaking tongues for years, and now he is speaking in a general way. So it's appropriate then to take 1 Corinthians 14 as the passage that most closely describes the ordinary experience of New Testament churches, and the standard by which God intends churches to regulate this gift. Okay? So again, someone in a church setting who's speaking in a tongue, he's speaking not to men but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So now, the next logical question is, what is the tongues of angels mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13.1? Go back 
1 Corinthians 13, 1, one chapter back, and he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, there's love again, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So in other words, you can have this gift of speaking in tongues, but don't have what? So what does that mean? Have you been strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit in your inner man? Yes, because you're speaking in tongues. Is Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart through faith? Yes, but not, is he really the Lord of your life? No, how do we know that? Because the next step would be you are full of love. And if you don't have love, you're exercising this gift without love, it profits you nothing, and it's just nothing, as we're gonna say, it's meaningless repetition. You're a noisy gong, you are a clanging cymbal. So you always exercise your gifts in love. So you always are examining yourself, am I surrendered to Jesus Christ? Is there an attitude of love? And you should, do I feel love towards people? Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Start in verse seven. Again, we're asking, what is the tongue of angels and of men? So we know there's a tongue of man and now there's also the tongues or the language of angels. Verse seven, 1 Corinthians 12. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Every what is the manifestation of the Spirit? What's he talking about there? To each is given the, the manifestation of the Spirit. What is that referring to? That's spiritual gifts. Okay? Again, spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They're to be used for the common good. To one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, Verse 10, to another, various kinds of tongues. Now we see what? It's, how many kinds of tongues are there? Various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And Paul is suggesting here, in these two verses, the possibility that speaking in tongues includes more than what? Human speech. There's various kinds of tongues. There's the tongue of men and of angels. So there, he's suggesting that there is another kind of tongue. It's not just a human language. You see that? That's all the point I'm making here. So the next question is, is speaking in tongues ecstatic or self-controlled? Does everybody know what ecstatic means? It just happens and you have no control over it. And this is an argument that people say that do not believe that this gift is available today and avoid this gift as to why you should not you should run away from anybody or any, any church that, that speaks in tongues because it's uncontrolled babble. Is that what the scriptures teach? Let's take a look. Go to 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And we're talking about in a church service here. So if you're in a, a, a church and someone speaks in a tongue, apparently in the Corinthian church, everyone was speaking in tongues. And he was like, no, let it only be two or three, in turn, and then let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. 
So in other words, who has control over the ability to speak in tongues? The individual does, okay? So it is self-controlled. It is not uncontrollable babble, as if you're in some sort of psychological state. And notice that it was very common back then. It appears that everybody was speaking in tongues, okay? And that they was being practiced and people were in, and there were people that it could interpret and so on. Which means that in my case, that in this church, for example, let's say that there is the gift of tongues. There are people here who have the gift of tongues. But there's nobody to interpret. What would be our rule then here? According to scripture. Keep silent. Privately pray, yes. You know, even while you're here worshiping, uh, don't be too loud about it in, in your own personal time. But if there's no one to interpret, keep, keep quiet. Well, somebody will have that gift. They will just, just, because that person will, how do I want to put it this way? God will just move, and it'll just happen. When I was at, at, received that gift of speaking in tongues as a 10-year-old, it was f- five, six years later, I felt the urge to, to repeat what I had said at this, young, at this youth group meeting. And the, the youth leader said, I feel someone is, needs to speak in tongues, and it was me, I repeated it, and the person was there and they interpreted it. Okay? That was a movement of God, and there's someone there to interpret, and it was very biblical, okay? And so God's not going to force, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, they're not going to force these things on you, for example. You have this gift, you use it. It's like, it's no different than any other gift. If you have the desire to serve, here's a clue, that, I don't have that gift. I do it, I know I should, but I'm not... Roger Hancock, for example. God bless him. You go mow all you want. You trim trees. That's a first from my mind. Give me a Bible. You know, I'll open scriptures. I can write a sermon. And I, you know, and I can feel the Spirit move through me, the ideas that come to me. And it's been verified then when I try this gift and people respond. Yeah, you have a gift of teaching. Okay? It will be the same thing with any gift. Okay? Now, how should speaking in tongues operate in the church? Okay, again, just what we read. It should be in order and with an interpretation so that the church is built up. Has anyone ever been in a church where they, they've practiced the spiritual gifts, uh, people have spoken in tongues and it's been interpreted? I mean, I've, I've grew up in some of those churches. Anybody ever been in those churches? Okay, yeah. It's a beautiful thing, and I, I miss it, and I wish it were here. That's why I'm, I'm pursuing it. But again, I started it when I first got here, way before talking about any of this stuff. From the very beginning, what did I say that what, what we need to do other than pray? What, what was the one thing? Remember this, that sermon series? The one thing, what is that? What did, what did Jesus say to Mary and to Martha? She chose him even above service to him. It's a personal relationship. You should know him. Cultivate that relationship. Seek the gifts. Seek this empowerment. 
okay? And let God move through you. So you'll never, no one will ever know do I have the ability to speak in tongues or to interpret unless they have this relationship and they pursue that. You have to be intentional. And that was the other thing I, I was, I spoke in this about five years ago, even to this date. But I, I, I sense in my spirit we need to go over this again. But one of the things that is an absolute death to the, the body of Christ are the churches that, yes, are completely against this, okay? The other thing that's an absolute death to the body of Christ are churches that don't regulate it, and it's just way out there and controlled, and it's chaos, and it's not attractive at all. In the middle is another thing that's even as deadly, and that's the church that says we're open to the gifts, but we're what? Cautious, open but cautious. You know what that means? We're gonna do a thing about it. And I told you, I'm not doing that. And so I'm pushing us again in this direction. You should know me by now. I'm gonna go after the controversial topics that Phil led to. Hell or high water, we're gonna throw it all out there. I'm gonna, this is the word of God, this is what it is, and if you're offended, you're offended. But the truth must be, especially today, spoken and revealed. So, there is a, you have this, this, this gift of tongues that is available to you. It's given to build up the church. Now, what if I speak in a tongue publicly in a church? Yes. Yes. Whoever said yes is counting. There we go. I think you, Carol. I have no idea. I was with a group 30 years ago that warned me to stay away from these churches that spoke in tongues. That they're crazy. Sure. They're obsessed by demons and stay away from them. Yeah. I hate to say that. I'm going to probably be in trouble here. Why even call that a church then? Because what are they saying? What is that church saying about this, about God? About God. What's the thing about God? But God is what? Demonic, divisive, and all of that. You know, and, and God is going to stand in opposition to that. Okay? Those churches, not all of them that are that way, but they tend to be legalistic. They're very dead. They may have very good teaching, but the worship is dead. There's no move of the Spirit because they have quenched the Spirit. Okay? They have quenched the spirit. All right? So, now, how should speaking in tongues to be, operate in the church? Where are we? We already did this one, right? Okay. What if I speak in a tongue publicly in church and it's not interpreted? You should know by now. What should you do? Keep silent in, the, in, in church in regards to publicly speaking in tongues, but... Here's the key, if you have the gift of tongues, if you've been, you know, received the Holy Spirit, it was evidenced, you know, you, you, you've spoken in tongues, continue to speak in tongues privately to yourself and to God in prayer and to praise. You could do it while you're singing the song. I encourage you to do that. Now, does Paul talk about a private prayer or devotional prayer language in tongues? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And look at verses 18 and 19. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the answer is, does Paul speak about a private prayer or devotional prayer language in tongues? What, is, what do you think? Yes, he does. Despite the instruction against using tongues in church without an interpretation, he certainly encourages it when? In private. In private. Which leads you to believe now that everybody can, when you receive the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues. Doesn't mean that you have the gift of tongues. There's a difference there. Okay? And again, I say, you must be in an environment that is not totally against it, that is not off, off the wall, unregulated, and, and it can't be open but cautious. An environment that will encourage this. An environment where if someone feels the need to, and, they are, and, and we're worshiping, and you start speaking in tongues, there's no interpretation, I'm gonna say, great. You tried. Keep doing that if you feel that, the need, because the answer could be that you are obeying God, and guess what? There's someone here that simply is refusing to what? Interpret it. Or you didn't hear from God, but you tried. And I, you know, I'm not gonna be mad at you. If you feel that again, do that. If it's, if it's, if it's happening regularly and there's no interpretation, then say, just be, be silent. But you're not gonna be judged, okay? But you must pursue these things. Pursue the gifts. But above speaking in tongues, what should you pursue? What well, love, but what gift should you pursue? Earnestly pursue this gift. Prophecy. Well, why would you say that? Because you're speaking of your mind, and the church will be edified and built up. Okay. What does Paul mean when he says tongues are a sign for unbelievers? Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20 to 24. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now, in the context of Isaiah 28, just listen to a second here. God is warning rebellious Israel that the next words they hear from him would be words of foreigners that they would not understand. The Syrian army would come as agents of God's judgment. Here in, in the Corinthian church, Paul is applying this as a general principle. When God speaks to people in language that they cannot understand, it's quite evidently a sign of God's judgment. So the situation of speaking in tongues without interpretation in the church service. So it is a sign to unbelievers. How? Well, tongues are simply not understood by unbelievers, and they're a negative sign of judgment. When an unbeliever comes in, hears only unintelligible speech, he will not be saved, but conclude that you are what? You're crazy. You are mad. His heart will then most likely be hardened even more, because the natural man, the unbeliever, cannot accept the things of the spirit as they are spiritually discerned and it's considered foolishness to him. Therefore, the uninterpreted tongues 
will, in his case, function as a sign of God's judgment. So it could be that someone could be in a church service where this is allowed, an environment, it's a safe environment, and you feel like you're speaking in tongues, there's an unbeliever here. There's no interpretation. And God may have you, and that person's heart is hardened, and that we walk out and we never see them again. God may have used that person who spoke in tongues as judgment against that individual. You understand that? And let's say that you want to speak in a tongue, for example. For someone to, to do that, let's say, in this church, you're going to have to, first and foremost, be surrendered to, to God and say, I'm willing to look foolish to do this, right? And where does that power come from? The Holy Spirit. And you've got to be empowered by him to, 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 to do this. So it's, it's been absolutely devastating to the body of Christ to not emphasize the filling, baptizing, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is the Christian life. And yet we talk about him, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God, which is why we have an impotent church. Okay? So what is Paul's conclusion on speaking in tongues despite this warning about it being assigned judgment from believers? Look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians 14.5, and I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Look at, now look at verses 9 through 15. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what you said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and I wish that that was the case in the church today, this Corinthian church, for all its issues, and it ceased to exist, they were eager for what? Spiritual gifts. Manifestations of the Spirit are spiritual gifts. Strive to what? Excel in building up the church and how's the church built up and the exercise of spiritual gifts and the exercise of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So if it's just me using my gift, yes, the church can be built up, but others need to use their gifts. The church can be built up even more. I am extremely limited in what I can do. That makes sense? It's a, the, the super pastor that doesn't exist. I don't do it all. I won't do it all. It's all of us using our gifts, okay? Therefore, verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Well, why? So, at the, so you can speak in a tongue, and then maybe God gives you the revelation, the interpretation, and you can say it, speak it. And what should happen? If it's of God, the church should be built up, edified, exactly. For, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 39, so my brothers, 
earnestly desire to prophesy and do not, watch this, forbid speaking in tongues. And the churches that forbid this have to come up with a very good reason as to why this gift is no longer available. Despite the experience and testimony of hundreds of millions of Christians throughout history. So you're in a church that forbids speaking in tongues, that frowns on that, leave. Okay? Leave that church. Why? Because the spirit is not free to move. They have quenched the spirit. It's like going to a church that says, I forbid you from practicing abstinence. Is the spirit going to move in that church? No. I forbid you from giving. That church won't exist. <laughs> so we know even here that there was some, it, it, the tongues was so different and it kind of freaked people out, I think. Okay? That, but it was also powerful as it was used to bring people to Christ. And I've shared other examples of, of, of recent stories of how it's been used to bring people to Christ and so on, and to glorify God, that it's attacked. And so Paul says even back then, don't forbid this. Don't forbid this. And clearly Paul encourages us to speak in tongues. Is speaking in tongues as a private prayer or devotional language the same as praying in the Spirit? Verse 2, for when he speaks in a tongue, speaks not to men but to God, to one who understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So is speaking in tongues as a private prayer devotional language the same as praying in the Spirit? I would say yes, it is. Okay. Now, if you go to, I didn't put it in here, but what does it say in Ephesians chapter 6? You put on, you guard, gird yourself with your belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, your feet are fitted with the readiness, it comes from the gospel of peace. So I have peace, I have truth, and I have righteousness. I put on my head what? The helmet of salvation. I take up the sword of spirit, the word of God, shield of faith, and we stop there. But you don't stop there. You have one more offensive weapon. And pray in the spirit at all times. And let me explain what I think he means by that. Is it possible for you to, be, to pray at all times? Well, no, you can't, your mind can't be focused solely on praying to God at all times. How are you going to do your job, right? How are you going to drive a car, for example? Okay. But you, but you can see praying in the Spirit at all times. Your spirit inwardly can be praying at all times, and you can still function in life. All right? Anyone here ever had that experience that has spoken in tongues and can pray in the spirit? Yes. Yes, there, so you can. You can pray in the spirit, and it's, I, didn't, I took this, this out, but there was research done in 2006. They actually studied the human brain when people are speaking in tongues. It's as if something comes over them, the research showed, and, and they are in control, but their mind and, their, and the part of the brain is speaking in tongues, and they're still able to function and think and reason and whatnot. But the spirit inside them is what? 
praying, but the mind and life is still going on. So you can pray in the spirit at all times, okay? And it's an offensive weapon, okay? When John Wimber, you know, who God used to start the Vineyard uh, Church and so on, um, he was a singer and, and did uh, something with the Almond Brothers, remember them, years ago, the Almond Brothers? He get, became a Christian, started walking with the Lord, and he went to his first church service, and they did what every Christian family does. They were uh, late coming to church, and they argued in the way to church, and they got into church, and of course he was, was a smoker and whatnot, and he came into church and sat through the service and was like, what I, read in the, what I read in the Bible and what I'm seeing here are two different things. And so he asked the pastor after the service, when do we get to do the stuff? He's like, what do you mean, the stuff? You know, the miracles and all this stuff I read in the Bible. He said, well, that stuff doesn't happen here anymore. And, he's like, and so he was like, no. God worked through him over time and, and gave him a gift of healing. And one of the things they found out he had healing was when his son got stung by a bee and he was allergic to bees. He broke out in hives all over his body. And he was really nervous and he just started praying for his son, laying hands over him. All of a sudden, he started speaking in tongues. He had never spoken in tongues before. And his son was instantly healed. That's praying in the... And he didn't know at the time, and so he began his journey into speaking in tongues and, and whatnot. All right? And then he led the most controversial class maybe in the history of all seminaries. It was, um, it was an MC 101, something Church Growth 101 at Fuller Seminary, where he came in, and it was the, the most controversial and yet the highest attended class, and they would speak on the kingdom of God and applying the things that I've taught you about he would, Jesus would come and he would preach the gospel and then there would always be a sign and wonder that accompanied the preaching. And so he said, I want to demonstrate that for you. So he would teach, then he would ask God to reveal to him, what are you doing today? And he would have these incredible insights into people's lives and the spirit would fall and people would be confessing their sins. People were healed, demons were cast out. And every night he taught this class, these things happened. Okay? But he went from, you don't do anything with the Spirit, to learning over time to embrace the Spirit. And when God called him to heal in his, in his church, and he taught it, and, and we're praying for people for the, over a year, they prayed and nobody was healed. And he got good at going to people's homes, visiting them when they were sick, praying for them, and giving them reasons why they weren't healed. Until one day he went to a, a, a wife uh, and a young couple with a young child. The wife was sick with the flu. He went in there, prayed this faithless prayer. After a year of praying for people in church and privately, no one was healed, and yet God kept saying to him, don't preach your experience, preach the word of God. And he prayed for that woman, turned around, talked to the husband as to why God doesn't heal, and he smiled, and that woman was instantly healed. And that point on, it was like a dam broke, and slowly, trickle after trickle, people started getting healed at this church. Then God's spirit really moved, and just it led to the birth of the vineyard movement. But it was an environment where God could move. Like God worked through an individual through a personal relationship. Okay? Is there another reason why I should speak in tongues as a private prayer language or pray in the spirit. First Corinthians 14, 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
So should you speak in tongues partly for yourself? Yes, it will build you up. In Jude 1.20 it says this, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. So you are built up in your faith. What does praying in the Holy Spirit mean? Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, okay? So praying in the Spirit strengthens you. When you understand this, you can see why Paul includes this in this famous passage. We went through Ephesians 6, 13, 18, the, the, the armor of God. We went through that, okay. Last question, is this the last question? No, there's one more after this. Is there too many? I, yeah, I can't count. It was my understanding in this job description when I was, was hired here that there'd be no math, okay? And so, um, we got that part, okay. If praying in the Spirit includes speaking in tongues, and Paul commands us all to pray in the Spirit at all times, can we all speak in tongues? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 30. Just listen to this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do we all speak in tongues? Do we all interpret? Because of the excessive use of speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church, in the problem it presented, Paul asked a rhetorical question with an implied answer. No, everyone does not speak in tongues. What we're making here is a differentiation between the gift of tongues and receiving the Spirit and, and speaking in a private prayer language. Okay, If you have the gift of tongues, you will be compelled, in my best understanding of it, to speak in a church setting, okay? And there's a good chance that if you have the gift of tongues, you have the ability to what? Interpret it, understand what you're saying. Because in verse five of 1 Corinthians 14, because obviously not everyone is gonna have the gift of teaching. And everyone's gonna have the ability to do miracles, okay? But look at 1 Corinthians 14, five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. So we'll see in this verse, Paul clearly states that he wants everyone to speak in tongues. But he said everybody can speak in tongues. And later he writes in verse Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, see that? All speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Clearly, when the church gathered together, they all spoke in tongues indicating this was not limited to a few with the gift of tongues. So why the apparent contradiction? There's a difference between the gift of tongues given to a few for the profit of the corporate body or for ministry and the gift of tongues given to all as a devotional prayer language for the profit of the individual who speaks privately to God. Now, obviously, what are the dangers of, what about the dangers of demonic counterfeit? Okay. This is what they'll say if you speak in tongues. You have a demon. They said to Jesus, by the way, that he had a demon. 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I, verse 1, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So despite their pagan background, a demonic background, which included sacrificing food to idols and ecstatic utterances, this is not Paul's concern in this letter. 
No warning is given that they should be aware of demonic counterfeit or even think that this would be a possibility when they use this gift. On the contrary, if they are speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will not say what? Jesus is accursed. This is why Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Okay? Do you guys remember? I'm going to be sensitive to time here because I've been up here for a while. I have a long story I was going to read that I read to you five years ago about Robert Morris speaking in tongues. Okay? I'm not going to read it. I could send this to you. Okay? Because in light of time. But basically, he went to a church. He was like most people, a two-baptism believer, was very leery of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power of the Holy Spirit, been warned against that. So what happened? They still thought that there was something to this, so they went to this church, found a pastor that believed in the three baptisms that I taught you, and they were convinced they needed to receive the Holy Spirit. And they went forward. The wife, received the Spirit, spoke in tongues. Robert didn't. But the pastor said, well, what do you feel like, what's inside you, what do you feel like saying? He said, I feel like we need to be holy. We need to be living righteous lives. He didn't realize at the time he was prophesying. So his wife's speaking in tongues. He's not. She, about a month or two later, he is, wakes up one morning, and his wife is smiling, and she, he says, what's going on? Why are you smiling? He says, you were speaking in tongues in your sleep. And he went to the pastor and said, apparently I was speaking in tongues in my sleep. And he said, I find that to be common with people. You've built up such, such a, a mental safeguard against this because of this prior bad teaching. Your spirit just doesn't allow it to happen. And eventually, he started to speak in tongues and experienced all the things. And it's a private prayer language, but it, it, that come and strengthened himself and it added more to his prayers that he was praying that he understood. Okay, all biblical Okay? Now, I'm going to close with this story, or with this. And he makes a very clear um, point here. He says, You will not receive this gift unless you open yourself in trust and yieldedness. Why? He says, Because it simply is a choice. It's a choice. And so I said we'd close with this. This is Hebrews 6 1 through 3. And I, and, and I say this again as a reminder to us. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. So what are the elementary teachings of Christ? He says, not laying again the foundation of repentance. What does that mean? From acts that lead to death. What's the foundation of repentance that leads to death? That's the gospel. When you are preaching the gospel, telling people to repent. Is that elementary Yes, that is the elementary teachings about Christ. Okay, how about this? And of faith in God. That's the elementary teachings of Christ. Watch this. Instruction about baptisms, plural. Elementary teachings. The laying on of hands, elementary. The resurrection of the dead, elementary. And eternal judgment, elementary. And God permitting, we will do so. He says, leave these things. These are basic. This is Christianity 101. Go on to maturity. So what I'm teaching you this morning, what I've been teaching you, is elementary. The baptisms. Okay? 
So we've had three weeks of this. And so now is the time for you to actually do something about it. So what I want you to do is if you would like to, please everyone stand, because we're not gonna close the song. We're gonna close here in a minute here, but if you want to receive the Spirit, and you wanna come up, Tom, for anybody, if you're well enough. If you'd like to receive the Spirit, we can lay hands on you, okay? And it's just a simple prayer by faith that you are going to receive the Spirit, okay? It may manifest itself in speaking in tongues. It may not, okay? but you can speak in tongues. And I also wanna offer another option for you. Let's say you've, you've had this experience. I have come forward to receive the Spirit. Okay, I've had this experience where I've spoken in tongues. But I have, recently I have not allowed, I've given the enemy, he is now Lord over this area or that area or these areas of my life. I have, I need to re-surrender. I'm not telling you to come forward and to rededicate your life to Christ. That is nonsense. You can't dedicate yourself to something you could never do in the first place. But you can resurrender. And so, this is why I spent so much time on my heart, Christ's home. If you need to resurrender, come on up and receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. If you've never received the Spirit, never been empowered by Him, come on up. We can pray for you by faith that you receive the Spirit. So I'm going to close my eyes, bow my head, and if you want to come on up, come on up, and I'll lead us in a brief prayer. If you want to resurrender your life, this area of your life to Christ, come on up, and we'll pray for you as well. This is a promise to everyone the promise of the Holy Spirit. To speak in tongues as a, in a private prayer or devotional language. Maybe there's an area of your life that you just are struggling with, and it's a, 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 just this strong point in your life that you can't overcome. Lord, would you go ahead and would you? The Spirit can empower you to overcome that that stronghold. He can take that down. So strengthen. He can strengthen you. And Father, we simply pray right now by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we ask you to send your spirit to fall upon those in this morning, who are here this morning, that have not received your spirit, who, are not, who have not been strengthened with power in their inner being by the Holy Spirit, or who need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Lord, fall upon them right now by faith, we pray. Now you individually, quietly can be praying that prayer. And just take it by faith.